Hello and welcome to the Post-Acute Advisor podcast. My name is Tammy Swartz and I'm the content manager for Post-Acute Advisor. Today I thought we'd talk about what skilled nursing home facilities need to know as we enter a new phase in the pandemic and also as we look forward to 2022. We'll talk about regulations and compliance and common concerns SNFs are having. To join me, I've asked long-term care expert Stephanie Corbett to join our program. Stephanie, welcome. Thanks, Tammy. And it's great that we have Stephanie because she's a health policy educator, consultant, researcher, and author. She's the owner of Corbett Healthcare Solutions, a private consulting firm for post-acute care facilities. And she's previously served as the Deputy Director of Health Regulation for the state of South Carolina and led diverse healthcare organizations as a nursing home administrator in several states. And she's also worked as a department chair and associate professor of healthcare administration at local universities. So Stephanie, I figured let's start our chat with what else? COVID. <laughs> um, vaccine mandates and boosters are in the news. Um, what should SNFs be mindful of as they navigate uh, these areas of concern? Of course, we want to talk about COVID. This seems to be like the never-ending plague of our time. Um, there's so much that is still rapidly changing in the industry as it relates to COVID. The hot topic right now, of course, is how do we manage and try to mitigate the risk that might be associated with the different variants. And one of the ways to do that, we know, is the use of boosters for the vaccines. We've seen our current administration um, and the executive office is very clear that healthcare uh, personnel should be vaccinated and they are mandating this, especially in cases where we take care of vulnerable populations such as seniors and nursing homes. So I would not be surprised if we do see the boosters are also going to be pushed as a mandatory requirement. I would right now focus on, of course, compliance and making sure that personnel, as well as each of your residents, are, of course, offered vaccines and they're well documented. One other thing that I would certainly encourage facilities to keep in mind as it relates to vaccines and boosters and all this other good stuff is that it was recently announced just a few days ago on September 19th that on Medicare.gov, CMS is now going to publish the exact vaccination rates that each SNF has, and the general public will be able to use this information to compare compliance rates. So Joe Blow or Stephanie Corbett or Tammy Swartz could go right to Medicare.gov, access any and every SNF that is certified and receives Medicare patients or Medicaid patients, and you can see and compare what the percentage rate is for staff as well as for residents that have or have not received the COVID-19 vaccination. If you know anything about Medicare.gov and its intention, the general public as well as many of our referral sources use this information to drive decision making. So it would behoove any and every SNF to make sure that you present at your best because many times those who are looking at this information are not drilling down on the true definitions or any fine print they simply want to know if I were to entrust this facility with my loved one, could I be rest assured that their staff is vaccinated as well as their residents? So that's probably the hottest topic as of right now. Hmm. And you said, is that already up or will be up? Yes. So facilities have been reporting this data since May, but it was announced just earlier this week that it will be up. I haven't checked today to see if it's up. But according to the announcement, it should already be up. Mm, okay. Already 
Already in the face of the public. <laughs> Got it. Always good to know. And so what about um what about general infection control too? I wanted to ask about this. Um, because I know I'm a little behind um on my own information, but you know, where does SNES stand on that in terms of regulation? Obviously there's been a focus on infection control. We had infection control surveys. Um uh but, you know, should SNFs ensure that they have an infection preventionist on staff by now? Whatever happened with that regulation? Yeah, so that's a really good question. I will tell you that each state is kind of tackling this in different ways. Federally, to make you it know, easy, huh? <laughs> yeah, it just makes it that much easier. I mean, I don't know if anything is easy anymore in SNFs as it relates to infection control. <laughs> if there is a such thing as making it more difficult, we've mastered that. Um, I will say, though, that from a federal perspective, as you mentioned, you know, the regulation was published requiring the infection preventionist. Then it was pulled back and it was left up to facilities to determine whether or not they needed a full time infection preventionist or how many hours would be suitable for that person to serve in that role in their facilities. Um, there is a lot of question about the qualifications for an infection preventionist, but I will tell you that each state is tackling this and in often cases is coming from the number of complaints surrounding COVID-19 and those complaints are often lodged through the attorney general's office in each state. So if you can imagine the heat that's on all of our elected officials and all of our uh, public service personnel in each state, you know that there has to be pressure on CMS to make federal changes. I would not be surprised if we see additional changes in the regulation that do mandate particular qualifications for an infection preventionist and very specific number of hours, and it could very well mean full-time coverage. The reason I say that in New York alone, Poor New York. I mean, hey, New York has just managed to stay in the headlines as it relates to COVID-19, although their issues and concerns aren't necessarily foreign to other states. But one thing I will say that was recently published, the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, published this report that was extremely controversial, and it was relative to nursing home infections, um, specifically as it relates to COVID-19. And they were taking a look specifically at how nursing homes managed and mitigated the risk of spread and transmission for COVID-19. Um, this was due, as I mentioned, due to several, several, like hundreds of hundreds of complaints that nursing homes were failing to implement proper infection control. Now, with that being said, the a, when the attorney general makes these reports, of course, you have all of these different groups, advocacy groups that speak on behalf of our residents, as well as the staff that take care of them. And they put pressure on the regulators to implement changes to the regulation. In New York State, there is now a mandate as a result of this report that took a look at all of these different, you know, how well did uh, the nursing home staff have the appropriate um, access and fitting for the appropriate PPE? Um, how well did they train their employees? Um, how well did they take care of their employees and making sure that they weren't required to come to work if they were sick and they weren't retaliated against or terminated, for example? Um, how adequately did the facilities screen or test for COVID? Um, were residents properly isolated? You know, those are just a few bullets of things that were investigated. And lo and behold, there were some opportunities that were missed amongst several facilities. And unfortunately, what that means is this gives precedent, not just in the state of New York, but across all states in the country, to know that there are a number of people who are pushing 
for infection preventionists to be mandated in every facility full time. In particular, in New York State, there's a the Association for Professionals in Infection Control and Epidemiology. We refer to them as APIC. Um, they have quite a voice and they've been very actively engaged, especially because of COVID-19. And one of the things that they're recommending as a mandate in the state of New York is that full-time infection preventionist. So I say all of this to say, there are a number of resources that are available through CMS, through CDC. They offer free 19 hours of continuing egg credit training. Um, there are a number of other resources through APEC and other uh, infection control advocacy groups. But what I will tell and advise each of the SNFs is to be mindful. This regulation is under constant scrutiny. It could very well mean a full-time IP be mandated in your state for your facilities. But in the meantime, no, regardless of how you staff your facility, you are still accountable for the outcomes. And those outcomes, if adverse, could result in some pretty serious consequences. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like looking at the writing on the wall as you peer into the future. <laughs> um, absolutely, yeah, it definitely seems like a topic. I'm sure most nursing homes definitely have on their radar, but in terms of what to do, what they can do, you know, uh, what they can manage to do with their resources, it does sound like quite a headache. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Um, and I wanted to ask, um, as we start to wrap up, I'm getting a little off of infection prevention um, per se, um, just in general, as we kind of look forward to the new year, what should SNFs be focusing their efforts these days on to avoid dips in revenue and issues with compliance, either COVID related or not COVID related? You know, I would say COVID related. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I'll say, many of our auditors are third parties that have worked for CMS and supported a number of the audits that we're accustomed to seeing have been asked to be mindful that, of course, we had this public health emergency. And with that emergency, there were some graces that were extended to SNFs. So whether that was allowing SNFs to waive the three-night stay, to submit late MDS assessments, and other areas that would otherwise be pretty quick triggers for an audit. Those were waived due to the public health emergency, but we know that bit by bit, the public health emergency is slowly being lifted. So what I would recommend that SNFs do to avoid any dips in revenue, potential issues in compliance, or even claims audits is to not lose sight of those things that could have been waived for a short period of time, but we know will still be required of us when that order is lifted. So I say that meaning, hey, what is the length of stay? Can we still make sure that those residents that are admitted to our facilities are appropriate to be in the SNF setting? If so, are we appropriating their length of stay as we should? Are we providing care that is well documented? And are those services of a quality standard? The other thing that I would keep in mind, facilities have been pretty particular about who they admit. Rightfully so. You can't fill all of your beds with COVID residents because, of course, that may overburden your staff. But I would recommend that you look at your case mix in your facility. Make sure that you are well staffed 
according to that case mix and the acuity in your facility. You also want to make sure that you market to those services that you can be sure that you can provide quality care. So if you're really, really great at orthopedic recovery, for example, or you're really great at diabetes management, don't lose sight of marketing to that particular population. Because ultimately what that means is you will still be the choice provider in your market and in your area for those specific services. Now, as far as compliance, surveyors are gearing back up. We know that their primary focus is going to be infection control, so that has to be our priority. But also be mindful that revenue can be affected, unfortunately, with hits from survey tags or survey outcomes that are adverse. So don't lose sight of those very foundational things that we know are very essential to the health of our facilities from a financial standpoint. Absolutely. And I know uh, it's about time to wrap up, but I definitely wanted to bring up and not forget that uh, you're speaking on the topic of False Claims Act soon on October 19th for HC Pro. Uh, can you give us a quick recap of why SNF should be careful uh, in that area? Yes, this is also one that's super serious and hot topic. The False Claims Act has been around forever, it seems like, but it is under increased scrutiny to be held accountable in the SNF setting. The reason for that is because there are so many facilities that have whistleblowers who are alerting the Department of Justice of different instances where the government has either misappropriated funds or facility has billed for funds that have been misappropriated. Um, there, has, there has been issues of fraud, um, or even just causing the government to pay out money or forfeit money that was due. And we know, hey, we're always looking for ways to uh, reduce the spending from a federal standpoint as it relates to Medicare. So when we're paying out dollars that are related to um, misappropriated services or misappropriated claims, that's always going to be a hot topic for the DOJ. The FCA's enforcement in nursing homes is not just on the backs of whistleblowers, but whistleblowers do account for most of the reports that are investigated. What facilities should know? These come with very, very hefty penalties. Healthcare providers can be required to pay three times the amount of reimbursement for any claim that is found to be a false claim. Also, each submitted claim that's determined to be false is subject to civil penalties ranging anywhere from about $12,000 to about $24,000. That's each claim. So that's very much in many cases just enough to close the doors on a sniff. Now, what would a facility need to be mindful of as it relates to false claims? Of course, we also always want to make sure that we're acting in integrity. Facilities want to make sure that they are billing for services that were actually provided. Um, they're doing so at the appropriate frequency as well as at the appropriate duration. Now, with that being said, we also have to be mindful that the False Claims Act can be enforced as it relates to care, substandard care. If you're a facility that has had a number of patterns associated with substandard care, you could be subject to False Claims Act enforcement. That is a very scary topic because most often we're used to looking out and doing our internal audits for any type of fraud and we have systems in place for that. What we often lose sight of in some cases is the fact that every time we submit a claim for reimbursement to Medicare, that is saying and certifying 
we are acting in integrity. We provided these services of a quality standard, which is a requirement of participation for CMS. So if you're a facility that has a record of substandard care and you're still billing claims that you weren't reimbursed by Medicare or even Medicaid or TRICARE, you are at risk for the DOJ to come back per the National Nursing Home Initiative and say, you know what? This facility was billing these claims, but they had this record of substandard care, which means they actually should not have been entitled to this reimbursement. Now, I will tell you this is new and it is causing a lot of heartburn for us. So what this means for many facilities, if you are one that does have a record of substandard care, a top priority has to be implementing processes and systems to show a record of quality care. And believe me, you, no government official, and especially not HHS or your state survey or agency, wants to see a facility close its doors. The reason for that, of course, is we want to ensure that all seniors have access to care, but it is equally important that we also provide access that is of a quality standard. So it takes quite a bit to form a record, a pattern of substandard care, but the effort that is required to maintain quality care is certainly a mandate that would be expected from all of our federal agencies, and especially one that would be expected of our surveying teams that want to enforce uh, these very requirements of SNFs. Hmm. Sounds like some scary consequences there, <laughs> uh, <laughs> for sure. And just uh, for our audience to know, um, that's the topic of the False Claims Act. Um, Stephanie will be um, providing a full uh, full webinar with a Q&A on that on October 19th. Uh, I've linked it over in the description of this podcast on the Post-Acute Advisor blog, which is postacuteadvisor.blr.com. And you can also find that webinar on hcmarketplace.com. And um, unfortunately, I think that's all the time we have for this episode, but please find future episodes and archives on postacuteadvisor.blr.com, or you can also subscribe through uh, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. So Stephanie, I just wanted to thanks for giving your time and energy today, and I uh, hope you have a nice day. Thank you so much, Tammy. It's always great to catch up with you. Have a wonderful day. Thanks.